0: On a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories. True Tales from the Trenches. In the membership economy, customer centricity is critical in building lasting relationships and optimizing lifetime value. As a result, the Chief Customer Officer, or CCO, is increasingly present at the leadership table. Today's guest, Rod Cherkis, founder of Hello CCO literally wrote the book on the CCO role. It's called the Chief Customer Officer Playbook, eight strategies that will accelerate your career and win you a seat at the executive table. And it just came out in spring of 2023. It's based on Rod's own experience as a post-sale leader at companies including Intuit, RingCentral, Marketo, and Gainsight. In today's conversation, we talk about key metrics for customer success, the changing role of the CCO, and what most companies get wrong when trying to build forever transactions with their customers. Rod, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Robbie. Good to see you and good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, always good to spend time with you. Let's start at the beginning. What is a CCO? Where are they appropriate? What are their responsibilities? Can you educate the audience a little bit about Chief Customer Officer?
1: Yeah, so a Chief Customer Officer is an executive at many companies that is responsible for the customer-facing experiences at that company for pulling them together. And increasingly, they're responsible for a broad number of functional organizations that are responsible for delivering those experiences. Today, those might include a support organization, a customer education organization that provides training. It may include a team that works with your customers to help them get set up and onboarded with your solution, a product or a service. There's often a team that works with your existing clients to help them see value. From your product or service, sometimes it's called a customer success management organization or an account management organization. And all of these teams come together, ideally to create a seamless experience that helps customers to see value and helps create that strong relationship so that they stay a customer and potentially buy other products and services from you.
0: This sounds like something that could be relevant in a lot of different kinds of organizations. I think it got its start, and correct me if I'm wrong, on the more technical B2B side. But where is it most valuable? And are there places where, like, are there organizations where you would say you don't need a chief customer officer?
1: Yeah. So the chief customer officer role generally started around 15 years ago. And it was part of organizations, whether it was technology companies, retail companies, other business services types of companies. And that initial role was often to gather feedback, gather voice of customer from various listening posts, assemble it, interpret it, and then try to influence organizations based on what your customers were saying. And this first generation of chief customer officers didn't necessarily have the operating teams to affect those outcomes. They were basically getting this feedback and then trying to influence a product team to create a product in a different way or their solution. And then working with a sales organization or influencing how the the marketing team described the solution to better set expectations. And what's happened over the past five to seven years is this role of chief customer officer now has operating teams. In some cases, very, very large organizations that are responsible for actually the delivery of these experiences and outcomes to their customers. So the chief customer officer role has become a much more central and important part of an executive team. And they actually have particular operating metrics that they're responsible for. that increasingly contribute to revenue and profitability growth at a company.
0: Super interesting. And you just had me reflecting on the first time that I heard someone use the phrase customer success. And I was working in an organization, this is about 10 years ago, they had a software as a service product, which is effectively a subscription. And they were noticing that people were buying the product and not using it, and then canceling at the end of whatever the period was two years or one year, or three years, whatever their periods were, and so they said, we need customer success. They had seen it in other organizations and they brought in, <laughs> I'm sort of laughing, but they brought in a 23 year old really good inside sales rep to run it. And it's just interesting to me at the time. I remember I was a consultant and he asked me, go work with her and help her do all the things you just described. Clearly not the profile of somebody who would be running a large organization or having the ear of the CEO. Or interactions with the board. But I think people were realizing that all value was going through her, right? And she was completely, in my opinion, unequipped to deal with it. Not her fault, but I mean, she had never led a team. She had never been an executive. She had never built a product, been part of a product team. But I do think there's something about as a service or subscriptions that especially lends itself well to customer success, which I know is just one component, and also customer centricity more generally. Have you seen that? Or do you think that this role and this kind of mindset can work in any kind of organization?
1: I think the role of a chief customer officer and this ability to be customer centric works in almost any organization. Because in most cases, your customers are making a decision whether they want to stay with you and your service, or whether they want to move to a competitor. And so I had worked for a long time. We first met when I worked at Intuit. And one of the products I was responsible for was our payroll service. And we competed with ADP. We competed with people writing checks on Fridays to pay their employees. And what we realized was that you could create a payroll service that had great sort of touch points when somebody signed up for the service. How did you work with them to make it easy to transition from writing paychecks by hand or with an accountant to doing it yourself? When you wanted to do your quarterly forms or at the end of the year, these were add-on services, so it could expand relationships. And it became easy. And you wanted to make sure that you had a team, what we would now call a customer success team, that was making sure that they were using it, paying their employees on a weekly basis, that they were getting value from it, that they understood that there were maybe more solutions or benefits that you could provide, like these quarterly filings or end-of-year tax summaries that weren't necessarily part of your base solution. And industries across all segments have these same challenges of demonstrating value to their customers. And I think this is why... Customers, this concept of helping make your customers successful has been so important for subscription businesses, not just in the technology industry, but in basically any type of product or service where your customer is making a decision do I want to work with you again or is there an alternative that provides better value?
0: Any business where your customer has a choice and where the need is ongoing really can benefit from having a little more customer centricity and perhaps a customer centric leader on the executive team. If you're last gas for 100 miles or you have the patent (laughs) for the drug that keeps people alive, they don't have any choices. You really don't have to be that nice to them. You don't have to really understand them. Although I would say even in those cases, what I've come to believe is if your last gas for hundred miles and your bathroom's dirty, someone's going to put a gas station right next to you with a clean bathroom, right? So even if you don't have competitors, it's probably worth thinking about all those touch points. And also, I think the other thing that you bring up that's really important for people to grasp is that it's important to think about the touch points after the moment of transaction. A lot of organizations are very focused on the touch points leading up to the money exchanging hands. And then they sort of forget that person or that customer and go back out into the wider pool and try to find another customer rather than saying, okay, we have this customer, like you brought up onboarding, you brought up touch points on their journey, you brought up expanding the relationship, maybe they didn't know that Intuit has all these additional features, maybe that are even included, getting the value you're already paying for can be a very powerful way to keep people and also to inspire them to trust you to go even deeper.
1: And I believe that that is a different role fundamentally than a sales organization, which was one of the key differentiators because sales is good at understanding unmet needs and driving to a transaction. But a lot of times there's not always an obvious next product or service to purchase and sales teams are often incented to spend time and invest only when there are these growth opportunities. But somebody needs to be responsible for making sure that that customer is seeing value from the things that they're getting so that there are these opportunities for growth later on. I wanted to share a story about my own experience. My first job was working at my mother's dry cleaners. And you'd be thinking to yourself, like, what does dry cleaners have to do with a subscription service? But I would argue that somebody who's working and maybe is wearing five shirts a week and coming in to get them cleaned or their dresses every week, that is fundamentally a recurring revenue business. And so as a teenager, I would work at my mom's store and make a game out of trying to remember everybody's name when they came in so that I would greet them by name. and. They would perhaps have a differentiated experience. They would appreciate the fact that I asked them about themselves. If you remember, it goes around a little cycle. I would be able to pick their name out of our sort of the tag holder and start getting their clothes even before they got to the counter. And they really appreciated that. And that was sort of my first experience and understanding The value of making those connections with customers so that people would actually look forward to bringing their clothes in and getting it cleaned creates that little differentiation, you know, fairly commodity type of business. And I would imagine there are a lot of companies out there where those in that recurring revenue business or whether you have repeat interactions with your customers where those nice little experiences make a big difference for your customers and that you'll be able to keep them over time.
0: Yeah. I love that story, especially because I know there are a lot of people listening who are starting small businesses, run small businesses or run businesses where it's not officially a subscription business, but it is what I call part of the membership economy where somebody feels like they belong. And I imagine that many people might've started going to your mom's dry cleaners because it was conveniently located or the prices were low or fair or whatever. But that was not the acquisition benefit, location, price. But the retention benefit was you, right? It's fun to see her son and it's faster, it's friendlier. It changes it from being a chore to being a visit and all of that, like just even changing your mindset. And you and I are both in Silicon Valley, both worked with a lot of tech companies. It's not always about the product, right? Sometimes it's like you have this great opportunity, it's often even less expensive to think about the entire customer journey and think about the customers, like where does this fit? Like your example of I pick up my dry cleaning, that might be the thing I do between the time I eat breakfast and leave for work and the time I get to work, right? How do I make that as easy and positive and fast as possible, right? There's so much more to it than just we're in the business of clean clothes, right? And people often don't care. I don't know if this is true. I'm, maybe I'm taking this too far, but. I, as a dry cleaning customer, don't really understand when the dry cleaners tells me that they've changed their process and it's better or cleaner, 8% cleaner or whatever. But I do recognize when there's a parking spot out front, when they have my stuff ready before I get there, when they've taken extra attention with details or they remember my daughter's name, all of that contributes to how do I make this task easier and more enjoyable?
1: Yes. So I wrote a book called The Chief Customer Officer Playbook, which is an opportunity to, all in one place, define what the role of a chief customer officer is, the key responsibilities, and importantly, the skills and expectations that, from my work with clients and my experience over 20 years working at recurring revenue companies, were important for Leaders to develop, for business owners to develop. And I think the principles and strategies that I talk about in the book are applicable across industry. And one of the themes that I discuss is the importance of being thoughtful about what your differentiators are, and you as an individual leader, the culture that you create for your organization around focusing on customers and creating these differentiators. Because many times, your customers don't really understand why your product is like physically different than another or it feels like a commodity. But what's different to them is how they feel about using your product or service or how easy it is to do business with you. And so in the book, I talk about a number of stories and examples of how I or dozens of leaders and managers that I interview and I know the stories that they tell around building that experience into the work that they do.
0: So you get extra credit points for uh, anticipating my next question, which was about the chief customer officer playbook, that book that you mentioned. We'll make sure to have a link in the show notes. I'm amazed that it's taken this long for this book to come out. Honestly, I think it's really, really important. And I think that you, having been in recurring revenue businesses for such a long time, having experiences with a variety of businesses... And in some cases, working, like what I sort of think of as like a meta customers, you know, being the customer success leader, the chief customer officer at a company that supports that function really makes you uniquely qualified to write this book. The book's divided into three parts, right? The role of the CCO, the path to becoming the CCO, and then kind of how to get their action plan and then trends. Let's talk about each one. We've talked somewhat about the role of the chief customer officer. Is there anything else that we didn't get to when you think of that role and and how your understanding of that role has evolved since you were that kid in the dry cleaners?
1: Yeah, I would add two things to what I talked about earlier. One is the importance that the chief customer officer plays in bringing the point of view of the customer back into the decisions made by the executive team. There's no one else who's solely responsible for that. So what that means is bringing the insights and trends that you're hearing in the market from all of the teams that you're working with, from understanding what their unmet needs are, that you might be hearing from your support, from your implementation, from your account management team, and importantly, prioritizing that and being their advocate in those decisions. And the second part is that particularly given where we are in the economy now that the chief customer officer role has an increasingly commercial impact on the revenues and profitability of a company. And that's a little bit of a change. I would say even as recently as a couple of years ago their key metrics might have been net promoter score or what percentage of your customers Felt like they're, you know, sort of like felt green, felt good about um, felt product. Green. <laughs> or felt green, right? Like you might rate them as like green, yellow, red in some system or on a spreadsheet. And now your board and your investors and your CEO really expect you to be contributing directly to revenue growth through increased retention, through expansion into other products and services. I would sort of add that as a dimension of the key responsibilities of a chief customer officer.
0: Yeah, just to summarize, it's the voice of the customer, particularly in the active experience of the customer post-sale as opposed to market research, which I know we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. And then also the increased financial responsibility and recognition that you're in a role that that is not overhead. I think customer support used to be seen as an expense as part of overhead, as a cost center, as opposed to today where the chief customer officer's domain, which includes maybe what was formerly known as customer support, now customer success, is really about, as you said, retention, expansion, referrals, building that flywheel for growth, the much more profitable revenue, honestly.
1: Yes, I think there still is a function called customer support or product support that for the most part is reactive. Customers have an issue, you try and resolve their question. But this mindset of customer success, I would say is different because it is driving for the best chief customer officers, they use it to help drive revenue growth. That's where companies get attention that's where companies get allocate their resources. So if you're just seen as a, we have an issue and let's resolve it, that still needs to happen. But the more that the CCO role can affect top-line revenue growth and bottom-line profitability, the more respect and resources they get.
0: Okay, so that's the first part of the book, the role of the CCO. The next part is about how you get there, the path. So I mentioned this young woman who came out of inside sales, is that the best place to start? Or what is the path to get there? If that is both in terms of, I someday want to be like Rod and run this function in organizations. And also I work in an organization that doesn't really value customer centricity in this way. What's the path for me to bring along my leadership team or my colleagues?
1: Yeah. So let me start with sort of the path of if your company is customer centric and where this is an important value, how that might work. I would argue that there are a lot of career paths of how to become a customer facing executive and ultimately be a chief customer officer. One thing that's often common is that individuals really like working with customers, and that is not obvious. There are so many people I work with that want to make it transactional, that don't understand customers, aren't particularly empathetic with them. They're not trying to remember their name or something about them. It's just, we're done. Something that even a 10 year old can
0: do. (laughs) Right.
1: Or they like sitting at their desk or they like working in a spreadsheet. There's lots of people like that. But Working with customers, it can be really fun and rewarding when things are going well, but you also have to have a bit of a thick skin because in customer-facing businesses, there's always opportunities to improve. So I think there are some innate characteristics of individuals who make good customer-facing leaders. In the book, in the Chief Customer Officer Playbook, I outline what I call the CCO maturity model, which is a set of eight skills and strategies that I believe are from my work with clients and from my research, are critical for evolving leaders to develop. And those types of skills can be applied at any level of an organization, whether you're a manager, a director, a VP, chief customer officer, they just potentially have bigger impact. And so one example of that is the ability to communicate and tell stories. So a customer-facing leader at a director level should be able to communicate to their organization maybe at an all hands maybe at a small customer event about the themes and the industry trends and best practices and then as you become a vice president you should be able to do it at your company all hands and maybe at a breakout session at your customer event or at your sort of annual company meeting to get on stage and then at a chief customer officer level you might be able to do that to your board of directors you might be a keynote speaker at your company event you might be asked to speak at industry conferences so what i outline in the book are the set of skills that create the foundation for being a customer facing executive and the types of activities that you can be doing to build those skills wherever you are in an organization i find it less important that you are in one function versus and it's actually probably better to have worked across different functions, to work in a support organization, to work in an education team, to work in a success management team, to work with new customers to help them get started, because you start to understand all of those experiences and how they come together.
0: Yeah, super interesting. The takeaway I'm getting is it's more about your proclivities and your skills than it is about what roles you've had in the past. And some of the stuff can't be taught. Some of it can, but some of it is what kind of, what gets you excited, what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's a personality, but there are some very, very specific skills that will drive success, storytelling, empathy, but also understanding of your company's products and how they sell. Okay, so that's the path. And then the last thing you talk about is you have action plan and trends. Why did you end with that?
1: One of the skills of being a chief customer officer or being an aspiring customer-facing leader is being able to anticipate the future and bring those insights and best practices back to your customers. A lot of teams, and you talked earlier about companies that aren't customer-centric, a lot of it is just reactive and a big transition for companies is to go from being reactive to proactive and what i try to do in this sort of insights and trends at the end of the book is to give people ideas about where to be thinking about in their career and what types of things are happening externally so that as they talk to peers as they identify best practices that are people are doing that they can bring it back to their own companies so an example of a trend That I think will be increasingly important is what's happening around artificial intelligence and sort of machine learning. Basically, being able, and this goes to where we are in the economy, a lot of companies are trying to increase automation and self service and operational efficiency because they don't have the same resources that they may have had over the past couple of years. The ability to make these self service resources more automated is very important. And I think this we've seen even in the last couple of weeks around the introduction of chat GPT and giving examples of how you might be able to ask questions and get answers could be used around support organizations. It could be used around how people learn to use your solution. And I'd encourage the audience here to just try it out. Go to the website and ask a question that your new customers might ask, or go and ask a question that your support customers that might have in support. And I think you'll be shocked.
0: At how good the answers are.
1: I was shocked. I published my book just over the last two weeks, and I went and asked the chatbot to give a 200-word summary of the Chief Customer Officer Playbook by Rod Chirkus. And it wrote a shockingly good overview. First, I don't know how it got the information behind it, but it was actually quite relevant. And so I did a couple of things like that. So it could be one area that helps you improve your experiences for your customers without having to add resources. And the second trend that I'll just give an example is that customer-facing executives will have increasing impact on their company's financials. And that will become a more important part of how their success is measured where that hasn't necessarily been over the past couple of years, the ability to connect the dots between what your team is doing and revenue outcomes or profitability outcomes and whatever business you're in, whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in technology, whether you're in financial services or retail. I think that being able to demonstrate the impact of what you're doing is critical.
0: Yeah. You worded that, I think, if I'm remembering right, as increased accountability, for revenue and profitability which is interesting because that's a little bit of a double-edged sword right it's great that you're part of the financial recognition that what you're doing is important and you probably get bigger budgets and more responsibility but also it moves from being sort of a softer thing to being something where people are going to really care about the metrics you're driving
1: yes and that accountability means that your executive team and your board can count on you for certain results so one of the methodologies I've been talking about is this concept of a CCOdometer. Is
0: that a new metric or a new dashboard?
1: <laughs> That's my new gauge. And it's basically a gauge of how well your CFO and your CEO believe that you can deliver repeatable, reliable results. Anybody in a recurring revenue business is expected to create those predictable outcomes. That's what your company is looking for. And a lot of times you're on the left side of that CCOdometer where you're sort of uncertain about whether you're going to get those outcomes or maybe you have a stage of optimism where you wanna to get to a stage of reliability. And so I talk about, not in the book, but kind of around the book of getting to that place where you can be a reliable contributor to those outcomes and I believe that being accountable and taking a stand saying, I'm going to hit that number, whether that number is a retention rate, whether it's a growth rate, whether it's a profitability metric is important. And not just saying, I'm going to improve customer experience. That's very hard to do. How do you improve customer experience in a way that affects your company's financial outcomes?
0: Yeah, I know one of the most popular metrics that's often associated with the chief customer officer is Net Promoter System Score. We talked about the fact that we both know Stu Berman, who's involved in the Bain Net Promoter System Loyalty Forum at Bain and was an earlier guest on the podcast. What are your thoughts on how NPS has evolved and where it fits on the odometer, on the dashboard? What is its role today? What are you seeing out on the horizon?
1: I think that NPS, the Net Promoter Survey Score, is one of the metrics that customer-facing leaders measure. It's a general gauge of how the company is doing. I believe, though, that going back to this trend that I've seen in my clients to focus on the financial outcomes, that those customer-facing teams are increasingly focused on a metric called either net retention rate, which is how much of your revenue you are retaining year to year, and also how much you're growing from that base. Another metric called gross retention, which is basically of the 100% that you have at a period of time, how much are you retaining? And then there's a cost of delivery metric, which is another key metric. That NPS is one of those, but isn't necessarily the desired outcome. Because as companies need to Sort of differentiate their experience and focus on certain segments of customers. The goal isn't always to make every customer optimally happy because there's a trade off that you need to make. If you're over investing in one area, you may not have the ability to invest in a different segment. And so, in this environment, this economy where teams are having to make trade offs, you're not necessarily just trying to do the best thing and make every customer happy or trying to be conscious about where you invest your resources. So I think it's something that companies still measure and it's important, particularly the qualitative feedback, but not always just by itself.
0: One of them is you really are shining a light on the importance of having a dashboard and not just one metric. So many companies, they want to have one metric that the whole company can get behind. And I believe that sometimes works for a season. To say this is the season that we're gonna focus on this one metric because we've all been underinvesting in it. But in the long term, it's about balance. These are leading indicators, these are helpful indicators, but they're not the most important income is about the ultimate outcome. And the other thing that it makes me think of as such a good example of the potential issue with just looking at MPS is the old sort of folklore tale about Nordstrom and how they used to say that you could return anything and how you could return a car tire. And they would take it and give you money, even though they don't even sell tires and nobody would ever think that they would sell tires. And that's a perfect example also of why you shouldn't do it. That customer is probably very, very delighted with Nordstrom. (laughs) You know, they got $87 for their tire or whatever.
1: I work with a lot of clients who are thinking about this segmentation strategy. How do they provide differentiated experiences to different groups of customers? Because those customers are all often thinking about different groups of competitors.
0: Just a quick clarifying. It could be, this is how we serve our pharma customers, and this is how we serve our retail customers. But it could also be, this is how we serve our top 10 largest, most engaged customers versus how we serve the 5,000 tiny customers.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I work with a healthcare client, for example, and their experience serving their top 30 sort of hospital chains and health networks is very different than how they service one unit regional hospital or medical clinics in what they do. And it's not even a technology solution so much as just the value they're providing, the insights, attention they get. And a lot of times your smaller companies don't want the same attention that your larger companies get. They don't necessarily want to hear from you every week. They don't want to meeting all the time, they because the person you're working with has multiple jobs. So understanding your cost of delivery and being thoughtful about what value is important, what outcomes are important to each segment is a really important factor for a lot of folks that are likely listening today.
0: So we've covered a lot of things. We could obviously talk for a lot longer, but I want to wrap up with a speed round. Does that sound okay to you? Maybe even fun?
1: I would love that. Let's do it.
0: First subscription you ever had?
1: New York Times in college, and I've had it since then.
0: Okay. Your favorite subscription right now?
1: My favorite subscription is actually right now, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. With the release of my book, it's just been interesting to see who's signing up, who's buying my book, how to communicate with them. So that's top of mind these days.
0: Wow. Awesome. Since we're talking about LinkedIn, besides you and me, one person on LinkedIn that people that care about customer success and customer centricity should be following?
1: I would say Rob Dollywall. He's an investor. He's just had some interesting observations about what he's seeing in his portfolio companies, which are both technology companies and non-technology companies, and how the perspective among board members is changing about what they need from customer-facing leaders. And I've talked about some of these today, about the importance of having a commercial focus on revenue and profitability, the ability to tie the work that you're doing to the outcomes of your company.
0: Best or worst customer experience you've had this past week?
1: Worst is with an insurance company that keeps canceling my auto pay every single quarter. We get a letter saying that, we've missed our payment and then we have to call and it turns out that they send out the letter before the bill date, right? So like, there's no way to probably understand that. But anyway, it's one of the ways that they can improve.
0: Best cake you ever received for writing a book?
1: Oh, this past week from Katie's Creative Cakes in San Mateo, California. My wife and family made a cake in the style of the chief customer officer, was awesome. And it had a little picture of me at the top made of frosting. So they've been calling it Frosting Rod.
0: You're not a success until you have a likeness in frosting.
1: <laughs> Outstanding. And such a sweet guy.
0: <laughs> Love it. Such a sweet guy. I got it. And best advice for someone writing a book?
1: I think that so many people have insight that is valuable to share that just start writing things, start sharing your thought leadership with others. And when you have a point of view that you think you can organize into a book, just start doing that. And the other advice I would have is hire, hire somebody who has either written a book before or whose business is helping people write books, not a ghostwriter, but someone that can hold you accountable. That was a very useful resource. I work with a guy named Dan Janal, who's what's called a developmental editor. I met with him, once a week for, you know, what was about 15 or 16 weeks. I owed him a chapter every week and we just worked through it. And that was great. He didn't know my subject matter expertise, but he was a guide in helping to write an effective book.
0: Dan is a great guy and a great writer. And having a developmental editor, something that I also had in writing my books, I started without one because I have a big ego. But then I had my humbling moment and hired a developmental editor to keep me accountable and also to help me shape both the membership economy and the forever transaction. So that's very good advice. We'll have Dan's contact information, as well as where you can buy a cake with your liking and frosting on the show notes. Rod Cherkis, thank you so much for being a guest on Subscription Stories. It was a real pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Robbie. It was great talking to you.
0: That was customer success expert, Rod Chirkus, who's led post-sales functions at companies including Intuit, RingCentral, Marketo, and Gainsight. For more about Rod and about his new book, The Chief Customer Officer Playbook, go to HelloCCO.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Rod, go to RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Rod and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. Reviews are how listeners find our podcast, and we appreciate each one. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.